This is Joe Chappelle, producer and director of the episode. And this is Wendell Pierce. That's me. I play punk. This remaining silent shit ain't nothing like they make it out to be. Mm. You up in here. Now this was written this way. I remember in David's script it was close up on bunk. Thinking you all wise. I felt like it was an honor because this is our last season, and so to start off the season and to be given this scene was a, a real honor. I know normally, Wendell, you're two takes and you're done, you can move on, you're good, but I know we spent a little extra time on this one just to try every variation that you wanted to possibly try. Like we did this in six or seven takes. I'm not sure what take number this is, but it was fun to do it. And it was really, and I didn't even shoot any other coverage until this moment here. Normally when you're in television, you're covering your ass and you're shooting the other kid and you're shooting the master. I just committed to the close-up on bunk for that big speech. Two quarter pounders, big fries, McDonald land cookies. This kid was great. He was. Dante Painter like Jr. Role, right? I actually was watching a reality show about a homicide investigation on another network, and they literally did this. Break room. So you can enjoy that, huh? All right. And I still ain't saying shit to you, Yeah. Why not? What the fuck? And the guy said, do you know him? He said, yes. And he literally said, what the fuck? <laughs> How many years you figure we've been doing this same shit? 20 at least. Now this is Ed Norris, who we worked with. He was the commissioner of the Baltimore Police Department. True. On the show, you had to work with a lot of, quote, non-professionals. So this shit actually works, huh? Hell yeah. Americans are stupid. Like Ed, for instance, he grew a lot in the next couple years on the show, but... As a trained professional actor, yeah. how, would you, how would you approach acting in a scene knowing you're working with a non-professional? Well, what happened was the reality of the scenes was so strong that we kind of reached a consensus. You know, the actors had to come to the reality of what Ed brought to it, and he had to step up to our abilities. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll start with an easy one. Is your name, in fact, Deshaun Fredericks? Yeah. And do you reside, in fact, the 1200 block of Woodyear Street in West Baltimore? Now, this being season five for yeah. you, Wendell, mm-hmm. when you get a script, did you approach it any different season five than you did season one? And did you is the character now so ingrained in you? Bunk goes this, like Bunk will do that, or is it everything's always fresh? Things are always fresh because I realized this year, more than ever, I did so little police work on the street. Bye. Bye, motherfucker. Mm. 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 Machine is never wrong, son. This kid between takes actually was, seemed like he was afraid of this, the machine. <laughs> Busted a cap and pookie ass my own self. Left him on home and shit. He just a bitch is all. And here's my comment on the last eight years. Bigger the lie. The more they believe. And that one line applies to the whole season, doesn't it? Yes, it does. You know, when I was doing Bunk all those years, I realized you get to know the character, but the situations always change. So that's the thing that keeps it fresh. It's not, how am I going to play this role? It's like, how does he deal with this situation, mm-hmm. this new situation? So I thought that was the thing that really kept it fresh. You're gonna save your soul. 
At what point in the run do you feel like, okay, I know this guy? Like instantaneous from episode 101 or to take you into season two? How long did it take you to feel super comfortable with that? Like a real person, I don't think I ever really felt that I really? knew everything about him. There were certain things I knew I connected with immediately, uh, but there were times where I really thought about, is this really how the man would react or his impression? Tried to tie it into his whole world. You know, the actual real bunk. There is a real bunk Moreland. Yes, the real bunk Moreland detective, Arthur Requeer, who retired this year. Mm -hmm. I went to his retirement party and I didn't seek him out for the entire five years except when I first started. Because one day he came to the set while we were shooting in the first episode, first season, and he looked at me and cocked his head and he had this quizzical look <laughs> on his face and I thought, oh man, I'm messing up. <laughs> and I never sought out his approval after that. <laughs> but he liked the show eventually. And did David and Ed both know him back from back in the day kind of thing? Yeah, David knew him from uh, the year he spent with the Homicide Division. And I was greeted like a prodigal son when I came to his retirement really? party. Really? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> All the running shit day, don't it? We got one coming in, unidentified number one male. Got him, Jimmy? Yeah, more face to face. Now, a question for you, Joe. All of these uh, stakeouts and stuff, is it methodical shooting it? It's like a puzzle, and you have to get all the pieces. And a lot of times we're kind of mixing and maxing locations to get the sense of what's in the script. In this case, it worked out well. Marlowe's Lair and this church that's behind it, the roof they're on, that actually exists. But a lot of times with these surveillance sequences, the actual surveillance area might be one block, but where the guys actually are, looking onto the binoculars is like somewhere else. And mm -hmm. that, a lot of that just because of scheduling, you know, what actors are available because we have so many actors on the show. Scheduling was a big deal on the wire. If I'm gonna take your package, split so it depends, so it's like a puzzle and you just sort of try to fit all the pieces, make sure it all works. And so when it's cut together, it all tracks as one. Like in this sequence here, when the scooter takes off and they do the handoff to Freeman and he follows them, right. it plays as if it's, you know, like within four continuous blocks, but we're like all over the, like, wherever side. you could pick it up. Here we could pick it up and where we were that day and how it was connected to a bigger scene that day. So you have to be very specific about yeah. camera angles and making sure. And what we want to see. And, you know, the challenge for the show was, and it's the kind of thing that only if you live in Baltimore, you'd be aware of it. But David was very particular and it pays off. If it seems supposed to take place in Northwest Baltimore, mm -hmm. we couldn't show anything that was wide enough that you'd say, no, you were in Southeast Baltimore. Right. So we really had to be specific. Coming your way. You know, what we could show and what we could not show. I have to say that people in Baltimore really appreciated that because they were uh, always they complimenting us. Yeah. Every day, same shit. And these roll calls I actually saw in the Western District. <laughs> Pretty spot on. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend to be insulted because you all are pretending to respect the rank. Today he's an SIC. Tomorrow he might be a newly minted lieutenant. You never know what these career-minded motherfuckers do. This sequence incorporates some handheld shots just to sort of connote that 
the idea behind this season is that the, the police department's broke and it's on the verge of anarchy. Right. So just to give that little sense that it's not quite the Western as we remembered it from season four to season three, things are kind of on the verge of a breakdown. And that's what the choice to go handheld here was. Mm-hmm. And also to reinforce what Carver's going through and trying to keep a lid on this. The arts diocese is for my kids' yeah, tuition yeah. and my ex-wife to so seek a man of color for the Shut the fuck up and sit the fuck down! Seth is great. I really liked what happened with Carver over the five years, how he started off as kind of a knucklehead. Yes. And then season three was a big change for him when he comes under Colvin's influence. One of my favorite scenes in the entire series is uh, the scene between uh, Carver and uh, Randy Wagstaff at the hospital. Oh, the end of season four. When he walks away at the end of season four. Pay my ass. This shit here is just paper. That's 65 hours of worthless paper. Officer Brown, sit your ass. We're all professionals. And we're about to police the roughest district in one of the roughest cities in the world. Show some pride. The promises were made, promises will be kept. The situation in the city right now... In the Bunk's history, before he became a, you know, in homicide, do you know, was there a backstory they gave you in terms of where Bunk came from and what department he came up in? No, they, they didn't give me a backstory. I created my own. Really? And I definitely came from the Western. You yeah. Know? And he was a product of, you know, Pennsylvania Avenue. First item is and pool. like a lot of African-American police officers, the one thing that I really wanted to get in the background is the fact that most of them become police officers because they see their neighborhoods really crumbling. And they know that that is not the core of the people there, you know, and they know that doesn't reflect the people in their neighborhood and the neighborhood that it is. And so uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of black officers become officers because they want to protect what they knew and uh, what they grew up as. Good neighbors. Yeah. You guys got the eyeball. All good, Lester. All good. Natives are restless, huh? I'm going to ask you a question. It doesn't really apply to this episode, but this season. I wanted to ask you this last year. I just didn't get the chance to, but... No, wait. Before you do, that is the real Jay Landsman. That's right. <laughs> and he really grew as an actor over he the, really over grew the three as an years. Actor. And we as actors really appreciated having the real officers on the set. And another example of the diversity of the acting core is this actor who plays uh, Detective Brown started as background. You know? Right. Over the course of the years, the world was so complete that I think he had a pretty great season. Yeah, he did. And I love this fight scene. Yeah, we intentionally wanted to make this as messy and as non-professional a fight as you could get. Yes. But now you were saying? So I was asking, you know, the the ethical dilemma that Bunk goes through later in the season, and he finds out what's going on Mm -hmm. with McNulty and Freeman. And just based on what you were just talking about, where he's coming from a place where he wants to be the good citizen. Right. And I think Bunk wrestles with it. We see him wrestling with that, like, should I, should I out these guys or should I let it go? What was your take on that? How did you play that? It is very easy to 
chip away at your kind of moral compass. You know, we all just cheat a little bit on our taxes. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean anything. Now, I'm actually doing a lot of civic work right now in New Orleans, where I'm from. And I can see how it's very easy to go, well, you know, I put this all together. So, you know, it's okay for me to take a point or two in this construction deal, because it really is. I did all the work, you know. And I really see that that's a part of human nature. Right. So it really gave me something to play, which is the rationale they use. Although we're doing something wrong, it's for something that we think is right. But if you go down that slippery slope, who decides what is right and wrong, Absolutely. ultimately? Absolutely. You know, Hitler thought he was doing a great thing when he was building the Autobahn, you know, and then these rockets, and then he said, you know, there's one other thing I want to do, take over the world. Would you have been surprised if, say, Script 507 came in and Bunk goes to Daniels? No. That would not have surprised you. It would have not, you know, because... It actually would have been an even harsher dilemma to play because ultimately I would choose to do right and lose my friendships. Right. You know. They're still coming just a year late. Right now I got to throw every dollar at the schools, but you tell your people, I know I made promises. Where else can you guys trim? Well, we, uh, we've been running a prolonged investigation into all the the bodies we pulled out of those houses last year. Now, all these years, I've been on the wire. I've never been in City Hall. We're not close to an arrest. And that's the great thing about the wire. It's such a huge cast. We never get to uh, cross over a lot. Right. And I'm as much a fan of this storyline as everyone else. I'm looking from the outside in, and I have the luxury of knowing the actors and the characters and knowing what's going to happen, but I watch City Hall and the politics as a fan of the show. Anything else? We need to take away. Did you ever miss the opportunity to work with like an Aiden Gillen? Because your character never came in contact with the mayor, did he? Never, never at all. I never, I never worked with Reggie Cathy. Yeah. I don't think I had a scene with Reggie Cathy or Neil Huff. Or Frankie. I think I had a scene with Frankie. I may have been standing in the same room as the commissioner gave a speech. Hold the line now. So is that a weird thing when you go to rap parties and you see these guys and you've watched them on dailies or screen or whatever, but you have never seen with them? It is, but we partied a lot in Baltimore. So <laughs> we hung out a lot, we just didn't work together. It caught up that way, that's good. Say it, Norman. You're thinking it. Truth to power, Norman. Isn't that what I keep you around for? When the governor threw that 50-some million on the table, you should have picked that shit up. He takes the state bailout, and he never becomes governor. He shorts the police department. The crime rate stays up. He ain't no governor neither. Just a weak-ass mayor of a broke-ass city. It's funny how art imitates life, or life imitates art, whatever, but... You? You know, the, the, the former mayor of Baltimore, O'Malley, became governor, and he's got the same budget issues. I think that over the past couple of years, O'Malley always thought he was Carcetti. <laughs> I hear through the grapevine that he doesn't like our show. I heard that too. Mm -hmm. But his wife loves it. Boy folded up. Taking our shit 60-40. Yeah, nigga show no heart at all. Smart people can stand down there, right? Definitely, definitely. All right. I first met Benga when he was doing Shakespeare in the Park. 
to just show you the dexterity of the actors. Hey, today they got the white boy with the black hair up on the roof in Booker T. Washington. Watch it with his father. And the thing I loved about The Wire is the fact that you'll never be able to pass the corner some kids slinging again and not take into account their complete humanity. Yep. We got lucky with that train there, and it really, I think it helps. You know, those commuters on that train going to Washington, and they're just mm -hmm. going by, and those meetings like that are going on all the time. I've actually seen online that real avid fans have picked out the park on the train, <laughs> and so they look forward to passing that spot over there. Baltimore should do like a walking tour or a driving tour of the wire. <laughs> it would, it <laughs> like would be Like Gettysburg great. or something. I'm serious. We're done. Amsterdam was here, and this is there. Marcus, you got to count for me? Why do you got to count for me? For you? No. Did you work with the kids much? I didn't work with them until this year. I had The great team with Randy, right? Yeah, the one scene with Randy. Can't say for sure. And these kids were fantastic. I really just think that the fourth season was the first time in any art form where you dealt with the decline of the American education system. Yeah. A real examination of it. Go home, man. Bug will be out of school pretty soon. I ain't you, Michael. Go get Bug. I'll see you tonight. I recently saw 401. These kids grew up <laughs> in front of our eyes. It was pretty amazing. <laughs> it really is. And Tristan Wiles, who plays Michael here. Yo, we shut? I just think it's one of the great young actors out uh -huh. there. I mean, he is the epitome of. Michael. And there's the other Michael that we all know of being torn between being pulled into this gangster lifestyle. Corleone. Yes. <laughs> I've always wanted to ask David if that was why he called him Michael. That might have been an Ed thing. That might have been one of Ed's. Because he was so close to that season four story. You know, not that he was Prez, but he was the middle school teacher. Right. And that's Ed Burns. Yeah, Ed Burns. Same lot they've used twice in the last week. One of McCullough. Mm-hmm. That's pretty thin considering how long we've been on these guys, Lester. They're gonna get lazy. Fall into a pattern. They all do over time. Someone say over You and Clark had a number of scenes. This season and other scenes. You guys seem to have a pretty good rapport. Oh, yeah, we have a great rapport. Had you worked before on something else? I've never worked before, and I actually, Clark Peters, myself, and Dominic West went down to Mardi Gras in New Orleans one year, and we had a great After time. After what season? That was in the second season. <laughs> and we snuck off uh, in the middle of shooting. You guys didn't know about it. And we had a great time. Oh, you're in the Bojack, huh? Yeah. And the Gashibo here? For my wife. Lieutenant, you get any word from downtown on when they're going to start paying out the OT again? Because we go on double shift on these surveillances. They haven't told me anything. I just love this character, this Lieutenant Asher character, the clueless uh, <laughs> commander. <laughs> we have to shut it down, Colonel. Explain to me how we come up on 22 bodies. Explain that to me. This comes straight from the hall. You're talking about a year's worth of work by my best people. Did you now, a lot of people don't know that Lance Reddick is a classically trained musician. I did not know that. He went to Oberlin. What is his instrument of... Uh, uh, piano. And we're on hold. 
The mayor's made a few commitments to me personally. If you want to call on a marker on behalf of this department, feel free. And what's interesting is Lance and Larry Gillian from first season who played D'Angelo, mm -hmm. first and second season. Larry went to Juilliard after me. I thought he was in theater, like myself. Come to find out that he is a classically trained clarinetist from Juilliard. Wow, I did not know that either. I like what they're watching here is uh, CSI. <laughs> kind of the uh, juxtaposition of cop shows. Definitely. Okay. Little man bringing it. <laughs> Yo, dude. I've been thinking. You ain't need to put in time on the corner if you don't want to. I mean, you're doing enough here with Bug to get paid. How you mean? I'm saying looking out for him. And I've been thinking, like, if you were to get locked up for some shit, I'd be for Bug. You know? So who's gonna watch a corner in the morning? Dookie is probably the most tragic character. <laughs> it is. I'm sitting here thinking about that. So I'd be like a nanny and shit? I saw the final episode of this season and the final episode of the series. Mm -hmm with a group of about 200 people in Philadelphia, and there was just a gasp when they saw what happened to Dookie. And a scream of no. Very tragic. Right. You beat me. <laughs> oh, snap. Fucking liars, motherfucking liars. <laughs> Easy boy. How many bar scenes have you in... You've done, you done the show. That is something that I'm proudest of, you know, because people always think that I'm drunk in these scenes. And I think that was a real sort of exercise of human behavior, you know, for me. It's um, one of the things I learned the most in these five years of allowing myself to just let the behavior take over mm -hmm. a scene and not try to think about it so much. That happened with the drunk scenes because I knew that was the only way I was going to be able to do it, just let the behavior take over. And they shopped our best surveillance band. Now, when you say that, let the behavior take over, what does that mean? You know, a lot of actors, acting, you can be in your head and think about it like, you know, if you say this, I'm going to come in this way, like this particular scene. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this, I'm going I'm to box him. You know, and they kind of make all those decisions ahead of time. Instead of just come into the scene and just play off of what happens. So almost like improvising. It is improvising, and it really is just allowing the situation to induce the behavior right. instead of you trying to decide what you're going to do. Has that been your approach to acting since you decided you want to be an actor, or is it something you just got more comfortable with and confident about? It has always been my attempt, <laughs> and I think these drunk scenes allow it to manifest even more in my work. I got the door, no problem. Who's gonna be our wheel man? Every plan a weak link. <laughs> and I do not smoke cigars. <laughs> and unfortunately, properties always gave me the cheapest <laughs> white owl sugar tipped cigars to smoke. And you're actually smoking, right? And I you're would not, you're smoke them. You're not faking them. it. You're actually smoking. I would actually smoke them. Degenerate motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. 
Clever enough sure do like to hire them sweet young things, don't he? 23, four years old. And here's both of our colleagues, Clark Johnson, mm -hmm. actor and director who directed our pilot. Yeah, our esteemed managing editor. Right there. And the gentleman in the middle is Bill Zorzi, one of the writers, playing Zorzi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Clark was great. He's a fun guy and crew loves him. And I think he made Gus the kind of boss you want to work for. I know. And the thing that's great about The Wire is the fact that it trusted the intelligence of the fans and the audience that we can bring in a new segment every season like this. The media this season introduce a whole new division. Mm -hmm. What? I've got cause up. You start writing now, and I'm not here at 10 o'clock. Did Bunk have any connection with the news? Reworking I'm trying to think, is there any no. scene with nothing with Templeton? Or? I was a fan of this also. <laughs> Just hang out with uh, Clark in Baltimore. Yeah. I'll top it with whatever smells fresh. Make the double My one connection was you saw me reading the results of the stories all the time. That's right. That's right. And I had a real dilemma this year as I was always sitting at my desk. And I'm sure this was tough for directors also because we had those petitions. Right. I had to try to make sitting at my desk different <laughs> for <laughs> 10 episodes. Might be. I'm not the police reporter. And those are two reporters there. It's Michael Esker on the left, who is a columnist for The Sun, and Laura Lippman in the middle, and a novelist, and um, recently married to David Simon. Left him in the smoking lounge, hit him on a cell. What kind of people stand around watching a fire? Some shameful shit right here. I know an editor of the Marin paper, and that actually happened. <laughs> Theirs was an accident where they were standing watching the accident. This sequence is a little unusual for the show because there's a few shots of Clark just walking through the space without any dialogue. And normally we don't hey, do that, Jay. but because this was a new space, introducing the newsroom, we let some shots play out longer. You just don't see that. We don't do that that often. We wanted to show off the newsroom and so you had an idea where everybody was in relation to one another. Mm -hmm. Gus is in the middle of it with the Metro desk. I need budget lines in case anybody's threatening to commit an act of daily journalism. <sighs> City desk, Haynes. You didn't, huh? Well, what the fuck are we supposed to do for Centipede, sorry? Great, wonderful. Photo didn't get art for the racetrack piece. What about art for the Hopkins press conference? Can we get that? Scratch it for racetrack. Hey, swag, it's me again. If something's on fire over in East Baltimore. Surprise me with a nice, pretty picture, huh? Look, what we have is drug violence, and plenty of it. What you have are federal gun statutes that come with a five-year minimum, no parole, and... This was written in, you know, that whole controversy that came up with the U.S. Attorney Generals. <laughs> this guy's what this guy is, but this was before that whole thing came up recently where Rove was trying to get rid of him, you know, if they were politically acceptable or not, and they were trying to get rid of him, and this guy perfectly got the Republican Party-affiliated Attorney General. With a dozen FBI agents and all the wherewithal they need to work that case. But we want Clay Davis to go federal. Our state's attorney has developed that case. Our state's attorney decides what to do with it. Well, he seems inclined to keep Mr. Davis local at this point. But if you could convince Mr. Bond to reconsider, we might find the resources not only for the probe of the row house bodies, but the time to run some of those gun cases for him. But unless you get Clay Davis, you're willing to let the killing continue. Well, look, 
the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office are not here to do the job that your police department can't. Don't blame us for your ineffectiveness. Baltimore is knee-deep in blood, and unless this guy can hang a Democratic legislator, <laughs> he couldn't give a damn. And to protect that legislator, who happens to be one of the most... It's these scenes which I just love about the show, because it just, for me, okay, now I see how things really work. Right, and, you know, we were invited by the mayor of Philadelphia to see the finale, but around the country, in city halls and in government, they feel as though this is the first time anyone's really tapped it you know, really tapped into the synergy of what happens in politics. And how things get done or why decisions are made and for the, all the wrong reasons. But it makes sense within the logic of it all, what everyone's agenda is. That's tough. That go well? Now that actor was Joe Erla who got out of Yale, I guess the same year I got out. And Reggie Cathy here also went to Yale Drama School. You know Joe. Yeah, I know Joe Erla. Never saw him the entire run. I still haven't seen Joe in years. <laughs> Shows you the size of the wire cast. Right. The elected state's attorney wants to one day run for mayor. Cuts both ways for you, If the feds get Clay Davis... Other than the locals who each cast, it's really a New York-based cast. But, I mean, and mm. Other than Dominic and Aiden coming in from overseas. But right. And Clark Peters also lives in right, London. But a lot of you guys, you know, work in, living and working in New York. Where are you located now? What's home for you? I split the year between New York and Los Angeles. And on the weekends, I go down to New Orleans to deal with bringing my neighborhood, Punchatrain Park, back to life. And how's that going? like that scene. <laughs> A tug of war. People always mentioned that he never had women, Marlo. A lot of kids, everybody was like, why doesn't Marlo be, why doesn't he have a girlfriend? You see, he just uses the girl to get, you know, mm -hmm. to the, the, the co-op. You know, better hit the mini ball, watch TV. When she settled, go take care of the other thing. I use one for my ride. Jamie Hector, who played Marlo wonderfully, he's a true gentleman, and he had mm -hmm. a lot of trouble grabbing her butt there. He just did not want to do it. He felt so uncomfortable doing it. We had to keep at it like... And the one other time when he had the sex scene a couple of years yes. ago, he was mm -hmm. very uncomfortable mm -hmm. having the scene and then having to kill the woman right. afterwards. East Baltimore going to be in Essex. It is a market already along Route 40 and down at Tennis Station. And new territory go to who claim it. And that scene, I remember when he shoots her, it was one of the most interesting scenes because he, for one of the few times in the show, if ever, like showed just a glimpse of remorse. Mm -hmm. And then Banga... Chris comes up behind him and says it had to be done. Right. It was just a really interesting scene. Well, I am Issa, for the most part. But I'm talking about Hungry Man. Robert Chu, his prop Joe, was great. And he was a huge help, especially season four, working with the kids. We'd almost have like an, an acting class. We'd get the scripts, and he'd sit down with them and work it through with them and try to get some basic questions answered. So when the kids showed up on set, that was our big... One of our big fears season four is we have all these kids, and they're going to be a lot of screen time, a lot of shooting time. And plus, because they were minors, they had to be out by a certain time. They couldn't work the whole 12 hours. But Robert would work with them, get them set. So by the time they showed up on set, they had their lines down perfectly, knew what the scene was about. He was like an MVP that year. Yeah. Kind of an unheralded and He's MVP. a counselor, right? In yeah. Baltimore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's just a thought. Well, look, man, what's the percentage breakdown of the new I mean, that's the first thing. Yeah, some shitty. Amon Glover, who played Slim. Is an air personality in D.C.? Yeah, great find for the show. And then one of the great tragedies of this year, because his brother actually was killed in Washington, D.C. Right. 
when we're editing episodes, you always have to lose moments because of just getting down to ring time. And this is one shot. I'm glad that we were able to really let it play out. Reginald. After what Bubbles went through last season, mm -hmm. and just setting him in the world now, just in quiet, and with the glint in his eye there, I just, I'm glad that I was able to survive. Because those are the kind of shots that invariably usually get just cut down or lost completely. I'm going to work. You know, I got and it's only on a show like The Wire where you see shots like that. No, because right. they're down here quiet like it. They need to fret. You don't stay here when I'm not around. That's our rule. And this was a beat that David had from before we even started shooting episode one, this whole thing with the stairs and the metaphor mm -hmm. for the stairs. But you can keep the door locked, right? I think in David's mind, Bubbles is kind of in limbo for the, most of the season. It's only at the finale where he gets to go up. And right. He had that image in his mind, those stairs right there. He couldn't go up those stairs until the very end. Now, you were talking about trusting a moment like that shot earlier. I remember when we first saw the first episode, we were all like, oh, no. It's 101. Yes, 101. We're like, oh, no. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, now we trusted that the audience would stay with us and be patient with the pacing of the right. show. The were you nervous about that also, or it was a leap of faith? You know, I wasn't a producer season one. I think that was the aesthetic that David had always seen for the show, and it was like, well, if people are gonna believe it, they're gonna believe it. If they don't, they don't, but I think this is the way it should be. I think it's true, and he stuck to his guns. I don't know if there was network notes saying, hey, you gotta spice this up, put some score in there or whatever. Knowing Dave and having worked with him the past three years, I think he was like, this is it, and I'm gonna put it out there. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but at least we did it the way it should be done. As the seasons went on, though, and we kept adding worlds to the universe, you know, City Hall, and the kids, and this season, the newsroom. There was just so many characters and so many scenes. It was hard to let moments breathe like that because there was just so much story, so many characters and so many scenes or beats per episode. I always wanted to go back and look at one of these season one scripts and just see how many scenes there were, just how many characters there were, because it seems like every year exponentially busier, which added to the whole depth of it all, but it was really a challenge, especially this last season, when we only had 10 hours to work with. Right. Ten and a half. You know, the last episode was long, but still, like season four, you know, it was like 13 episodes. When we put the episodes together, I really felt missing those three hours. Because yeah. things just had to come much quicker than they probably should have. Additional cutbacks are said to be coming in the city MTA routes. A trial balloon from the governor. And it's so interesting that the fans had grown accustomed to the pacing of the exactly. show. Exactly. So there was commentary about how they felt as though things were being squeezed into an hour, or things were happening a lot faster than right. they were normally accustomed to. Which is interesting because, you know, you never heard that in the whole television ideology of like, you know, slow it down. Right. I mean, I think, relatively speaking, this season zips by. Right. Simply have to do more with less. It would have been great if we'd had the extra hour at the beginning, just to sort of like even layer in the cop discontent even more, like Nolte's discontent even more. We could just build even further. It was interesting because I really did feel the missing couple hours that would have been nice to have. The decline in quality of police casework 20 inches from Warm Kessel. Got the city council tonight. Probably won't get a vote on the homeless initiative, but we'll scratch some news out of it somehow. Now, these two editors, a lot of people have said that they're the editors that 
were there when David Simon was at the paper, and there's been a running dialogue. And it's in been the, very in controversial the within the journalistic community. Hopkins piece on Biomed, though I'm told we didn't get art on today's press conference, and we have 15. And it's interesting because it's the same. Not critics. It's not the critics. It's the journalist who praised the show, numbers aside, or who bought, I guess, how City Hall worked, how the police worked. But when it was kind of directed at their world, mm-hmm. they were like, "Well, that's not the way it works. Right. It's, it's, it's just going to happen." And uh, I don't know if that's true. I think it might hit a little too close to home for some people. Saying how the last few years have really transformed the school's reputation with black faculty and students. It's a white guy, right? Who? Yeah, a journalism fellow, Dean Warmer, Dean Martin, whatever his name is. I worked with uh, Gene Robbins in Philadelphia. He is an excellent journalist and a reliable source. I think race is uh, Yeah, both David and Bill Zorzi, I think they have very specific ideas about even the way these guys roll up their sleeves and the suspenders. Get a, a real sense of how UM is perceived by minorities. All right, then. Let's firm things up. I also appreciated the way the discussion of race was dealt with in all five years of The Wire. It wasn't overt. Uh, you would see McNulty and I go to different bars. You would see, obviously, he was in a bar that maybe Bunk would hang out because he was the only white guy there, or vice versa, I would be the only black guy in a bar that obviously McNulty hung out in. And it said so much about race relations, and you had a scene like that where it's just alluded to. Right. I think it's so interesting how we dealt with race in the show and not so overt and at the same time how it actually exists in the world, how mm-hmm. whites and blacks actually interact. And for that reason, I always felt the show, in a weird sort of way, was somewhat hopeful. Yeah. Because it showed blacks and whites working together, functioning together, enjoying each other's time. It wasn't right. segregating. And so it's not a hopeful show, but right. in just that matter-of-factness of how it was presented, I thought, well, that there's hope there. And that was exemplified in the way we hung out as actors, too, you know. While, you know, we were praised for being one of the uh, most populated African-American shows in the history of television, at the same time, we all, black and white, hung out together in Baltimore and had a great time. And you'd say that in terms of, like, professional going on shoots when you're on location, it doesn't necessarily work that way. Right. Trust me, I've been the token black guy on many a show. (laughs) I know that wasn't no court date. You already got the gun charge postponed twice. So what the fuck was that about? Remember that Russian we locked up for murder? One in the port case years back? I didn't mark that case with you. Do you ever think about it in terms of I don't remember this character, role of a lifetime? Oh, yeah. I mean, part of the sadness when it came to an end was, wow, you know, are my best days behind me now as an actor because, you know, this may have been it. And then I actually worked with an actor, and she said, you know, Wendell, you can do whatever you want now. You can sell out, because you have the wire. Right, right. You know, Interesting way of looking at it. Huh? Years from now, when I see you in a chicken suit selling, <laughs> you know, giving out flyers, you can always say, I was bunk on the wire. Yeah. You say that 120 people were evacuated. Yeah, they were. You can't evacuate people. I mean, you can if you want, but that's not what you want to say here. A building could be evacuated. To evacuate a person is to give that person an enema. The details, Miss Gutierrez... Spry, the copy editor there, is based on someone David knew very well. I forget the gentleman's real name, but he was very specific in terms of how he wrote that character and how things were played. 
fuckity fuck. And I think what's also interesting about this whole newsroom angle, I mean, it is obviously critical of how things go down in the newsroom, but you still get a lot of sense of the love of it all. Right, yes. Of the craft, and, you know, that really comes across over the course of the season. And I might actually believe you if it wasn't Carlisle who took the shot. This is good. I believe in this picture. Print me something else. Every fire photo he brings in is there's got to be some burnt doll somewhere in the debris. See that cheap motherfucker now with his fucking hair and my dolls pouring lighter fluid on each one? Ever since we shot the scene, every time I look through the paper now, I look for, a, like, you know, fire, yeah, pictures classic, of fire. Right? <laughs> I'm looking for the doll now. Or the bike with the wheel turning. Right, yeah. He doesn't want it to look like the city's running the homeless out of downtown, so he asked Norris to redraft the measure. It would be interesting now to see how the wire affected policy in all of these institutions. Mm -hmm. Someone was mentioning how we should actually have people from the police department and uh, from the newspaper and City Hall come together and actually, you know, those who were real fans of the show. Right. You think? How many stories Well, I know season four, Ed Burns, because he has some very specific ideas about education and how things can be changed. He was able to make some inroads, I think, in terms of going before committees and at least getting his case out there about how things should be approached. Mm. I don't know what's come of it. I haven't talked to Ed about it recently, but it did get him a forum. You know, it gave him a forum to preach a little bit. No, I came back here to write. Check the fucking library. Shit, check clips too. He goes back a ways. No, 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 check that. You go back to the hall, you get to vote on this thing. Find out who sponsored this. Find out whether Carcetti or Norris or whoever's behind it. You buttonhole them, find out what the hell's going on. Why? Who's Ricardo Hendricks? The drug dealer. Fat-faced Rick. Alma, Scott. This property... And what was so great, it's so populated by so many characters, we as the actors would have to go back and uh, research <laughs> and kind of... We're looking at these DVDs <laughs> along with you guys, going, Ricardo Hendricks? Who's Fat-faced Rick? Wait, which one is Fat-faced... Alma. It's so interesting in gatherings of actors also, before the season came out, we didn't know anyone in the newsroom. So now it's like all of these kind of like people we saw at parties and mm -hmm. hanging out, and mm -hmm. I think they're in the newsroom. <laughs> and after the season, now I want to go and hang out with them. <laughs> like Brandon Young, who's the young editor. You know, I always saw him around. I was like, is he on the crew? <laughs> and Alma there is Michelle Perez who is the real-life wife of Larry Gilliard. That's right. D'Angelo. Right. Write the A matter on Ricardo's history. Wait, she goes to strip clubs and I'm pulling clips in the morgue? You guys late for the council meeting? Looking for you, sir. Me? I'm racing. I'm uh, late for some charity thing at the Walters. Mr. Mayor, I was told I could get a few minutes tonight. What, you're on my schedule? Everything ran late today. They were supposed to ring you, I think. What, do it quick, or do we reschedule? Burrell's disbanded the unit. It's working the bodies in the houses. Yeah, when we're fat with money, you can come back on it. Investigations are not like that. You can't just drop one and then pick it up down the road without... Colonel, we got no money. We've got no fucking money at all. There's nothing we can do until the new fiscal. But, Tommy, that kills Clay Davis for me. And we're about to go to grand jury on it. Same unit is doing Clay? I need some profile for my shop. How much of that unit do you need to bring the case in? Couple detectives. I'll tell Rawls you can keep two men for Clay. The rest of it is shut down until we're able to dig out, okay? I gotta run. I always like the energy of that scene. Mm -hmm. The way it kind of came together. We shot it really fast. It was like the end of the night. One thieving politician trumps 22 dead bodies. Mm. Good to know. 
You know, as I'm sitting here watching it, to save money, they're not even putting I miss all of these people. You know, they're real people to me. You know, the characters were so well drawn. I've heard that a lot since the finale aired. It's like people are like, what am I going to, you know, even though there would sometimes it'd be a year or eight, even longer between seasons, just knowing it was out there for the true fans, they're going to miss it. They're going to miss the characters. There's a B in subtle. Lines like that. Right. <laughs> You look well, Eric. Dominic Lombardozzi, I just think. <laughs> One of the great actors out there. I know I keep saying that, but he really was Herc. What Herc went through in season four. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the thing with Bubbles and taking down the minister. <laughs> it was like watching a train wreck and you just couldn't take your eyes off it. Mm hmm. About fucking time. And he's like first generation Italian American. And his. Uh, Get around. His father makes great prosciutto and wine and all. He would bring it to set, you know, bring it down mm -hmm. in Baltimore. It's clean and it bites. Deserves a front off lead, maybe. And we're saying what? That it's a sweetheart deal for a titty bar owner with a big criminal history. He sells his existing location to the city for 1.2 million. And they sell him a better piece of real estate to relocate his club five blocks west for 200,000. He clears a million for This land. is a thing that you could do on The Wire, which you could never do on any other show or most movies. Where all this backstory is just kind of given to you verbally, and if you listen and pay attention, you get it. But most shows just don't trust the audience to listen and have the patience for it. Actually, Jeff Price found it. Executives should really look at our audience, which, by the end of the five years, rich, poor, young, old, white, black, just everyone could identify with at least a segment of the show. Mm -hmm. Price for you, line two. And he's got Narice with him. Oh, shit, here it comes. <laughs> Gus, it's Jeff. Yeah. The council president would like a word with you. On the record. No, she's given me her quote. She wants to talk to you off the record. This is all perfectly above board. No doubt, Madam President. We need this property for redevelopment, and it's in the city's interest to allow Mr. Hendricks to relocate. And is it in the city's interest to give him a property with twice as much floor space and give him a million dollars for his trouble? Well, do you think you might have made it clear to the council that Mr. Hendricks donated $60,000 to your campaign committee? I don't know, man. Where I live, 60000 buys a lot of goodwill. Hey, Jeff, is that you? I'm putting you on a hole for Sprite. This newsroom yeah, was built on stage. And uh, Vince Perenio, who's our production designer, I think he spent the longest time looking for a space that we could create the newsroom. And looked all over the city, couldn't find anything. And finally, basically, he ended up cannibalizing his own offices up on the second floor wow. to get the space to build the newsroom. And it looks great. It was a fun set to shoot on. To show you the power of the media, that kind of happened to me in New Orleans where a story came out that, you know, Wendell Pierce, actor on the wires, coming home to Pontchartrain Park to mm -hmm. rejuvenate his neighborhood association. And the response that I got from the paper, I mean, Senator Landrieu's office called me and really? the mayor's office called me. And the concern of how they are perceived and the power of the media is very, very palpable for them. They know and they wanted to make sure they were in line with me because I got so much press. 
and I, I'm trying to utilize that as I go forward. And when they would contact you, could you get a sense of their specific agenda? Would you know what that, oh, would, yeah. Yeah, that came out? You well always clear. know the agenda. Yeah, you become very clear about the agenda. Could you use it to do what you needed to do, or was it something you just had to, it was just there that was... I'm using it now, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, well, that's great. I really need your help, but this is what we really need, you know. And, and have they uh, been forthcoming? They have been forthcoming. Oh, that's good. I'm sorry it takes that sort of attention to get people to move. Well, it's celebrity, right? Celebrity should be traded on the stock exchange. It's a very, very tangible thing. When you get recognized in public, is it as Wendell or as Bunk? Do people know you as like Wendell Pierce plays Bunk or is it just, hey, it's Bunk? It's Bunk. It's Bunk. Even when I work, you know, our writers ask, can I call you Bunk this week while you're here? And I'm, I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm sure glad it's not Gilligan, you know? I'll take Bunk any day. Bugs. Yo. Huh? <laughs> That's one of the characters who came back just mm -hmm. for that little cameo this year. I was on the internet looking at the list of questions that people had. And they were using that as justification to go on or do the movie. And they were pulling out all of these characters that they wanted to see. One was Huck. What have you heard about the movie? Well, not that uh, there is one. Uh, yeah, you know, it's according to who's listening to this when. The movie was great, and when we won the Oscar, I have investors ready to move on it. I'm serious. I bet. Sonia Son and myself have approached David in the final season saying, you know, this is something that we would like to see. And we actually talked to him about doing a prequel. Mm -hmm. But, you know, after this season, you realize, you know, it can go on. And I've been approached by people, it's so funny, and traveling. Someone said, well, you haven't done health care yet, you know? You got to do the health care, the hospitals. <laughs> Have you given any thought to the prequel? Well, the prequel, if in the first season, they talk about how they took the towers over. Stringer and, um, and Barksdale took the towers over from, from brothers that controlled it before. Mm -hmm. So that's that storyline. And there's always police work. So, you know, mm -hmm. the spattering of how the unit got together to put together the wire. How was it doing the prequel? HBO had that on-demand, almost like prequel, where it's like the mm -hmm. little vignette, little short, where McNulty meets Bunk for the first time. Yeah, it was great to do. It was great to do. But the one that was my favorite was the kid who played Prop Joe at 10 or 11 <laughs> or 12. I thought it was dead on. I thought it was dead on. And the kid who played Omar. I have an affinity for children actors, right. man, because they're so honest all the time. No uh, pretense. Dominic and I, you know, fell right into it. Yeah, it, it looked that way. So I just love these moments of bubbles alone. It's just, it says, and, you know, that's what I'm talking about when it's about the study of human behavior. That's what acting mm -hmm. is really about. Mm -hmm. It's about yep. 
investigation of human behavior. But they're throwing their last dollars into patrol and crime suppression. You think being on Marlowe and his people every damn day for a year isn't crime suppression? I mean, we lowered the body count just by sitting on these people. They knew the hot on. After a year? Look, promises were made to me. This is what I was talking about earlier, about having the extra couple hours if we had it for the season. Mm -hmm. Just to reinforce that notion, it's been a year since season four ended. Things do happen relatively quick now. I think if it was another year, like it would have been season two or three maybe before this happened, this, this, right. this beat happened. Episode two or three. Yeah, like, you know, into the season. But right now, because of the time constraint, it had to happen in episode one so they could keep the story going. You two are assigned to the state's attorney's office to help grand jury the Clay Davis thing. I also think Lance has the best posture of any person I've ever had. Yes, definitely. Ramrod straight. Sorry. And to have that room be the centerpiece of where all the police work was done. For five years of units coming together and being disbanded mm -hmm. and coming together, being disbanded. It became a very, very personal place. This is one of my favorite scenes. Narissa receiving her paper. Classic filmmaking, the lack of sound saying yeah. so much yeah. as the window goes up. Blood. You know exactly what she's saying. Yes. And Sheila Dixon, the mayor, <laughs> was always a little weary about the show and always assumed that Narissa was a depiction of her. Even though David Simon has said, no, this is not you, Madam Mayor. But then when she saw how pretty yeah, Helen was, I think she eased up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's doing the react piece? Jeff, or what? I'm just, uh, I need a story. I'm up. I like working with Tom McCarthy. Yeah. I think he was a really good actor and really smart. Yeah, and, and he's a director in his own right, too. Mm -hmm. Station agent, right? Mm -hmm. He has a new one he just completed. It definitely planted the seeds for the season. And that, mm -hmm. you know, those looks of just wanting to do more. It's two o'clock, people. Need budget lines. There are a million stories in the naked city. But today, you poor mooks only need to throw me three or four. Good afternoon. Michael Kostroff, who was always great as Levy. Great, great role. What's great coming back to scenes and episodes, knowing where characters have come from and where they ultimately are yeah. going. Yeah. Represent Tiger Woods. Well, it's tough watching Herc on the dark side. You know, we remember yeah. when he was a cop and you know he and Carver were partners, but now that he's, it's, it's a trip. It's a travel. Pull over some black minister, piss him off, and I lose my fucking job. One round. You a prominent defense investigator let these other guys buy a round of drinks ever? 
kid. It's time you learned a little something about the expense account. <laughs> and this is the last scene of the episode, and as uh, Landsman says, the uh, prodigal son returns mm-hmm. back to homicide. That's my desk. The fuck you say? The actor who played the rookie detective. Dennis Hill. I can tell you right now I don't know his name because I treated him like a rookie. (laughs) (laughs) I felt bad. But he did great. He had bigger scenes later on, and he did really well with it. Oh, he was fantastic. The prodigal son. Delaney Williams is great. This has been Joe Chappelle. And Wendell Pierce. Thanks for watching. <laughs>